This is Daniel Self, lead pastor of the Orchard Church, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Afterwards, if you would like and subscribe, or if you want more information on The Orchard or to support this ministry, find us at theorchardlife.com. Now know that we are praying for you today, that God would speak to you, and you would have a breakthrough. We're so glad you're here today. Obviously, I'm not Daniel. I am Daniel's dad. Uh, Daniel, Rebecca, our family, and some others helped start this church in 1990, and Daniel is not here today. He's in Louisiana performing a wedding ceremony for a good friend of the orchard's daughter. And um, we were talking. He said, you know, I've never been out from preaching so many times in a month because a couple of weeks ago, he had a uh, uh, kind of a retreat sabbatical with his go-to spiritual support guys from all over the country. And their uh, schedules just aligned in such a way that that was the Sunday for that to happen. And in a couple of weeks, he and Amy and the kids are going to be taking a uh, twice-postponed family vacation. So after that, he's coming back strong, and you're going to have to put up with him for a while, right? And we really appreciate uh, Dan Bosco uh, filling in for Daniel Sum while he's gone. And good to get to know Dan and the uh, ministries that he is leading, and he's done such a good job since he's been here. Daniel Self brought him in, Dan Bosco, um, primarily to support and build up our congregation by promoting and providing community groups during the week and service groups where you can get connected to other Christians and deepen your faith in God. And he's also done so much good around here for our Sunday morning. Um, it used to be that new people would walk in and they could hardly figure out where to go. I and mean, we had uh, a, a piece of paper taped to a wall and it said go somewhere and it was so, it was, I was embarrassed. So Dan has uh, been able to come and give direction with some of these signs so that when people come in for the first time, <clears throat> they feel like we've prepared for them. We care for them. And uh, they know where to go. And they don't feel so disoriented. So we appreciate what he's done, what uh, Shannon and Dan have done for the information desk. Hopefully you've been there. I told Shannon I'll tell people to go out and see if you can stuff Stump the information desk people, ask them a question, but we try to prepare them with, with all of those. So Dan's done a good job. Um, we now have about 200 people in uh, during the week community groups. Isn't that great? Thank you, Dan. Yeah, I'll give him a hand. Thanks, Dan. And the baptism that he helped with here today, we really appreciate him. So this morning, the message is uh, about anger, not how to do it because we're probably all able to do that really well, but how to deal with that feeling of anger and sometimes the appropriate and inappropriate expression of that anger. You've probably felt it sometimes when someone's angry with you, right? It's unpleasant. And that's the way they feel when we're angry with them. And so what we want to do is, is find the connection here. Is there a spiritual connection between anger and our relationship with God. I often ask people, I say, well, how's your spiritual life going? How's your spiritual maturity? And they say, well, you know, I go to church now a couple times a month, and uh, I read the Bible some. I said, wait a second. I was asking how your spiritual life or maturity, not what you're doing to support it. It's important to be at church, to read your Bible. But during the week, the way that you respond to a difficult situation probably is a, a pretty good index on your spiritual maturity. And some of us probably are going to say, wow, I need to look into that. I need to see what that connection is and how to do it better. I kind of equate it to the, you know, the dashboard on your car, you're driving along, B2, 
being innocent, haven't said anything bad to anybody, and the check, engine light comes on. Oh, no. But you take it in and get it checked. It could be something that would, you know, devastate your, uh, your vehicle, and you wouldn't be able to drive anymore. The dashboard of your spiritual life, there are several lights. Anger is one of them. There's only three, really. I'll give, maybe get to the others later. But when that anger check under the hood light comes on, it means to help you identify why that anger is stirring. It's, it's to help alert you that uh, you want to be careful now what you say next. And you want to look into kind of what that anger is, anger is all about and where it's coming from. Um, Jesus was pretty specific in the Sermon on the Mount when he spoke to them about, well, let me just read his words from Matthew 5. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, right? But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Wow. Can you imagine the people listening to that in the first century? And even us now, and we're like, well, that's not fair. It's not just. I mean, I don't get a felony when I'm angry with someone. How could that be? But Jesus indicated that anger is dangerous for us and others. And he goes on to say, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Well, you're saying, I've never really said Raka to anybody, Doug, so I'm, I'm, I'm good on that one. But what does Raka mean? It's an Aramaic word that uh, was used to in a contemptuous way, tell somebody they're worthless, less than human. Raka. It's a word that the donkey cart drivers would use when another donkey cart driver would pull it in front of them, back on the road, you know, in the olden day. Raka! <laughs> and then fool. Uh, fool actually comes from the word that we get moron from, which means empty-headed or stupid. And Jesus said, when you denigrate someone like that, well, you're in danger of uh, spiritual judgment. So we've got to give our attention to this. This is very important. Uh, anger is most frequently expressed for those closest to you, right? We don't usually just go down the street unless they pull in front of us and just yell at a stranger. Uh, often it's people we work with or people in our family. And, and uh, sometimes it's between husband and wife. I've done, in uh, 46 years, I've done 568 weddings. That means that I've counseled pre-married couples uh, a couple times for that 568 weddings that I've done. And there's something I always tell them that I want to alert them. Because I can't help them avoid problems. I want to help them be able to deal with problems that come up. And here's what I tell them. I say, when you're married, you're going to be more angry at your spouse than you've ever been with anybody in your life. Now, when I do marriage counseling, people have been married for a while, they already know this stuff. But the pre-married couples are like, they're getting ready for their wedding. It's just a week or a month off, and I say, you'll be angry. And they're like, oh, no, Doug, you don't understand. Our love will overcome all those bad feelings. Oh, yeah, right. So I, I just go out about four months, and I schedule another appointment <laughs> after the wedding. And I tell them, I said, anger uh, is difficult and it's hard to handle, I, I need to help you understand how to deal with your anger 
And so what I ask them to do is I ask them to describe their anger pattern. Now, everybody's got one. You got one. And hey, during this message, no elbowing people next to you, okay? All right, everyone has an anger pattern. And it starts with kind of you realize I'm a little disturbed, I'm a little irritated with what someone said or did or what's going on. And then it kind of moves on. Well, everybody's got step one, step two, step three. Now, some people are zero to 100. And other people are kind of a slow burn. Some people are quiet when they're angry. Some people are yelling. And some people are in your face. And some people are out the door. But everybody has an anger pattern. So what I do is I get them to describe it, help them see how that they can better deal with their own anger and with each other some ways that they can be able to resolve difficulties and differences. You see, resolving conflict in a marriage relationship is probably one of the most important things that you can do because conflict comes up, disagreements come up. If you, if you can resolve it, then what you've done, you, let me put it another way. You can't resolve a conflict with your mate without better understanding why they felt that way about that. So you deepen your understanding, appreciation, and compassion for one another if you can resolve a conflict. The problem is there's usually anger involved in a conflict, right? And, and so how do, we, how do we deal with that? I say, so important to resolve the issue and resolve the relationship. Because what happens is if you don't resolve the issue or the anger or relationship, what happens? We internalize it. We walk away from that discussion where um, the other person won or, or they said bad things and we replay it in our minds. Now, it was unpleasant to start with. It gets worse the more you replay it. It hurts. And here's what happens. It's kind of a magical thing. The other person begins to look more and more guilty. And I look more and more innocent, right? And so my anger grows because this horrible person's been picking on me. And when that happens, anger turns to resentment and bitterness. And bitterness can linger. And if it's unresolved, the next time a discussion comes up, guess where the ammo comes from? Well, the last time you did, yeah, exactly. It's important to resolve conflict and deal with the anger issues that are involved. Um, let, me, let me go over this just a second. I've got to find my, myself here. Um, we're going to look at the anger and how to diminish it. But first of all, I want to just kind of look at usually what occasions uh, that anger. Uh, there are a lot of things. Why do we get angry? Well, we get angry oftentimes when somebody takes advantage of us, insults us, puts us down, calls us names, neglects us, treats us as less than somebody bossing us around, somebody misunderstanding us, neglecting, rejecting us. We all know, and you could probably add to that list. Don't do it right now. But there are lots of reasons that oftentimes, during the, during the week, we find our anger stimulated. And then there's that other long, burning anger from perhaps when you were a kid. And someone offended you, someone hurt you, and sometimes egregiously. And that hurt turns into a toxic anger. So that sometimes you're talking to someone in front of you, and they're innocent. They don't even know your past, but they say something that reminds you, and it touches that that soft spot, that tender spot, and all of a sudden you, you go off on them. That's the kind of anger also that we want to deal with today 
and help learn how to pull anger up by the root. Because regardless of what causes it, there's a common root. And that common root I want to give you, um, and then we'll explain and look at how to pull it up. It's insecurity. When someone points out a fault, I want them to know that I don't really have that fault, and I'm a better person than that. Remember Raka and Fool? When somebody diminishes my worth or speaks contemptuously to me, I want to defend myself. In fact, sometimes I defend myself by justifying what I'm doing, they pointed out, and sometimes I defend myself by counterattacking the other person and tearing them down so that they don't have credibility to point out my problems when they've got the log in their eye, right? That's what we do oftentimes because we want to be liked. We want to be valued and respected, and that's healthy. People who say, I don't care what others think of me, uh, usually do, because if truly that were the issue, you'd be a sociopath. You don't want to do that. Those people get in trouble. It's healthy to want to be liked and cared for and loved. But the way that we attain that self-worth that others will like in this world, of this world with others, is often fragile and usually expiration date. So how can we attain and gain a, an eternal sense of value and worth and security so that when somebody's ragging on us, it doesn't tear that down? Uh, in Ephesians, Paul is writing to some people, and he wants to deal with this issue of anger. Here's what he says, Ephesians uh, 426. Someone told me after the first service, there's not a 26. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was written down wrong. In your anger, Paul said, <clears throat> he recognizes it's part of the human condition. In your anger, do not sin. Huh. Can anger carry you into sinfulness? He says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry and don't give the devil a foothold. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Wait a second. Are you telling me that if I don't deal with my anger up front, especially before the sun goes down, within a period of time, and I reduce that anger so I don't wake up mad the next morning, that I may be allowing Satan to have influence in my life? These are my words. This is what Paul is saying. So there is a spiritual connection to anger, and sometimes it's the wrong direction. You don't want to go. Now, so what we want to do is deal with the feeling of anger so we don't express it inappropriately and so that the next morning we wake up a pleasant person, even after an argument the night before. Wouldn't that be cool? Wake up, not have to bring it up again, not have to go off on it, but be a pleasant person. Now, Paul writes more about this danger of anger. In uh, Colossians 3, he says, Now you used to walk in these ways before you became a follower of Jesus, before you became a Christian, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Get rid of it. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. And you're like, well, Paul, that's back in the old days, you know, when people weren't civilized. Back when there was a culture where anger was some present and frequently, oh, wait a minute, that's kind of us too, right? Yeah, these words matter to us. Get rid of it. Stop it. Quit it. Easier said than done, right? 
probably most of you have had a time when you have regretted your angry words and you've asked God to help you not be so angry. It's hard to control. But I want you to know there's a key and there's a new route for you to develop. Pull up the old one, put in the new one, to becoming kind, calm, compassionate, caring, pleasant. It's to understand and pull up the root of anger, which is insecurity. Okay, Doug, that's even more difficult. How do I get to be that secure so that I don't react with anger when someone says something to me? The key is on your T-shirt, probably. Love God, love people. Now, there's more to that. It leaves something out because we can't get the whole thing on a T-shirt, you know, without adding long sleeves. Love God, love people. Let's look what Jesus said in um, uh, Matthew 22. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. In other words, really get into this. Make this a, a real pursuit. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as Love your neighbor as, your, as you love yourself. Now, most of us say, well, I like myself pretty well. But when it comes down to it, we don't have a real high regard for ourselves. And we can't love others any better than we love ourselves. Now, we, we often put ourselves first and try to get what we want first. But that's not love. How do we love our neighbor as we love ourselves? When you put the time and energy into loving God. Now, God, the creator of heaven and earth, is there something to love there? <laughs> do you look up at night? Do you see the stars? Do you see the beautiful golden leaves now? I mean, the butterflies, the birds, people, your child, your spouse. I mean, God created it all. There's something lovable in that, something to admire. Love God, it says. Use all your energy to love God. You see, loving someone changes you on the inside, uh, even human love. Have you ever seen uh, a couple that fall in love? The guy falls in love with the girl. Does, are there some changes? Yeah, he begins to shower more often. And, and he pays attention to how he's dressed. And he cleans up his vocabulary. Loving someone can change you. And more than that, loving God uh, can change you because of his excellence, his majesty, his love and care. <clears throat> but it also can change you when you realize that you're loving the God who loved you and Jesus died for you. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, Bob, when you received Christ that time, the Holy Spirit came to live within you. And when that happens, guess what? You get a new DNA. You may have come from a really bad family background. The influence is still there. Yeah. But your new family, your new identity is a DNA that's consistent with Jesus Christ. That's who you are. Now, that's security right there. But then, here's the second part. We love God, but then he loves us. And we receive his love. And when you receive, doesn't it feel good to be loved? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and especially loved by God. Because he knows how to love. He made this beautiful, colorful world because he loves us and wanted us to enjoy it. Jesus came and lived and died for us because he loves us. I hope during the wonderful songs that we have of worship,
that you are receiving. You're loving God and receiving his love. Because uh, there's a lot of things during the week that don't go that direction, right? So it's important to receive from God his love for us. Now, a person who begin, begins to be that um, secure in Christ and in God's love is the person that can withstand someone else's denigration or contempt. Uh, years ago, Rebecca and I were able to go to, to London, and we went to the London Tower. What's in the Tower of London? The Crown Jewels. And they've been there for hundreds of years. Now, if you take the Crown Jewels, I mean, one of those crowns uh, weighs five pounds. If you took the best diamond, the biggest diamond, I think it's 105 carats, if you took it and asked somebody to evaluate it, and they said, well, that's a fake. Does that diminish the value of that diamond? No, it just calls into question this person's ability to evaluate a diamond. You see, in Christ, your worth is just as established as the crown jewels. And if somebody walking around indicates to you that you're really not worth that much, that calls into question their ability to evaluate. Not God's love for you because you are secure in that. And when you are secure in that, you are strengthening your faith. Not just your faith that God will do something for you, but your faith that God has done something for you, is doing something within you, and will do something through you. That's where you want to strengthen your faith. So that, now here's the equation. It's kind of uh, complicated. When you love God, you get changed and built up. He loves you. Man, you have his DNA. You're built up. You're secure. You're valuable. You're worth. And so here's somebody over here. You go over to them, and, and they may say something to you that's negative. But because you've been loving God, he's been loving you, and you love yourself now as God loves you, you can respond to them with understanding and care. I'll explain later how you do that. But you don't have to let them bring you down because you're... If they try to diminish your worth by calling you a name or uh, you know, saying you're worthless, you can just think in your own mind or even say to them, you know, I got a lot more where that came from. Take your best shot. It's fine with me. Because my worth and value is established in eternity. Because of God. Now, this is how I'm going to explain how to do it, and then I'll help you understand how you can do it. When a person comes and they uh, put you down, here's how you respond calmly because you're secure. Remember, you're secure. You respond, what is it about my behavior you've noticed that would make me like that name you call me? You know, they're different names. And then you can listen compassionately. The person says, well, you're this and you're that and you do this and you do that. They describe that behavior. And, and then after a moment, you can respond like this. Yeah, I can see how me doing that can be very offensive to you and others. Thank you so much for pointing that out. I don't want to be that way. See, somebody just fell off their chair right then. <laughs> <laughs> Because they're thinking, are you kidding? <laughs> oh, yeah, Jackson. Yeah, get him. <laughs> In Proverbs, uh, it says, uh, 15.1, a gentle 
answer turns away wrath. Harsh words stirs up anger. You see when somebody's angry with you, you think you've got to brace them up and get that angry a little more. They get more and more and more and more. Where does that go? But if they're angry with you and you don't return anger, but you return care, compassion, understanding, it changes the whole game. And then there's those past hurts I mentioned a moment ago where when you come in contact with somebody that does, it reminds you of the hurt that you had in the past. Sometimes you go off. We call it now, there's a popular word called, I was triggered. It's very important that you move your trigger so other people can't reach them. It's very important that those things in the past that have hurt you, scarred you, wounded you, first of all, you go to God and you say, oh God, I need your comfort. I need your healing for this in my life. That was so bad and so hurtful. And God is a comforter, is he not? His Holy Spirit comes into you and with comfort to help heal that wound. And then it's important after that that you forgive that person. They may, they may not even be alive anymore. But for you to forgive them. I've helped so many people in counseling. If, if, if you, this is a delicate operation. Because you don't want to go back and remember those things. But forgiveness is a process that I'd be glad to help you with if that's part of what you need so that you can deal with that anger that comes from the past. I've read recently, I'm not sure, it's not scripture, but um, the saying is, the most influential person in your life is possibly the person you have not forgiven. And um, that, that brings some truth to it, doesn't it? Because it, it throws us off balance, contaminates us when we haven't forgiven. Well, in this, in this scenario, um, I want to give you one that I often see in, in marital counseling and hear about. We're going to say that, for example, this is not always the case, that the wife wants to point out the husband's faults so that she can help him get better. And sometimes she's pointed this out several times before, and so she's doing it again, and maybe she's a little heated about it at this time. And she's pointing it out to this guy. Now, I want to I give you an idea of what a, a Christian man, a godly man, born-again man, full-of-the-spirit man, facing that kind of uh, incoming, what this man can do as he stands there. This man turns off the TV and turns to face her. Now, he puts down the screen. This is, guys, this is dangerous, right? And he turns to face her, and he, he's going to listen. And, and he says, I wasn't aware that what I was doing was hurting you so deeply and affecting you. Would you please describe it better so I can understand how my behavior was hurting you? I know that guys usually don't want to hear more about it. And you're inviting it. And there can be several, well, you, well yeah, well, yeah. And each of those times you're like, hmm, let me think about that. You're saying that you're upset with me because of this behavior and that's hurting you. You know, I want to make some changes. I do not want to be a source of hurt. I'm your husband. I want to be the best thing in your life for you. And so... Will you please forgive me for that hurtful behavior? And 
I want to make some changes. I want to be a better man. Okay, our, she's out, right? I mean, <laughs> call the paramedics because she hasn't seen this before. <laughs> but can you imagine how a relationship can be improved and healed when a person, either one, husband or wife, feels heard, listened to, and understood and responded to in a compassionate way? Now, you may be thinking that an ordinary person could never do this. That's why I said no nudging during this message. Because it'd take a person with superpowers. We often go to movies with superheroes, right? They can fly, they can, they can uh, make people fire, and, and they can disappear, and they can jump buildings. But let me tell you, that's all fake. Those are just guys in a costume with special effects. And when you're home, or when you're in a difficult situation, there's no special effects. You don't have a costume. But you can have superpowers. If you're born again, believer in Christ. In other words, you're, you're not a normal human anymore. You're a human who has believed in Jesus. His forgiveness has died for you. He rose again. His spirit is within you. You're supercharged. Now, you may not be taking advantage of it, but yet you are capable of, of behaving in a way that seems supernatural. No cape necessary, but in a difficult situation, you can follow Jesus living a life of compassion, kindness, patience, self-sacrifice, because that's your new DNA. In the scripture in Colossians one twenty seven, it identifies this by saying, to them, to you, God has chosen to make known among the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this ministry, of this ministry, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, we think that's something religious, something ethereal in the sky. No, it means that next time you're in a difficult situation and somebody's chewing you out, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory that keeps you from going off the deep end, flying off the handle. Christ in you, the hope of glory, works during the week, Tuesdays, Fridays, all during the week. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Um, in uh, Colossians 3, 9 and 10, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self. There you, see, your life before Jesus, Bob, your life before Jesus was different. It was, it was not supernaturally charged. And it, you had practices but now you put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the creator. You're being renewed in the image of the creator God and his son, Jesus Christ. Wow. And then Galatians 5 tells us what some of these resources are now that we have this connection. And it says uh, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Would, would having some of these kind of help in some situations? If you could go in the orchard of your life and pick one of the fruit of the Spirit, of patience, offer a bite to the person that needs you being patient with them, they're yours. Jesus died so you could have them. They're part of your inheritance. You don't earn them. They're there. All you need to do is focus Focus. Spend that time with God between the anger situations so that you are being charged up, so that you are getting your soul fed, 
so that you can be healthy and, and, uh, and have the ability to operate with these supernatural uh, abilities, powers that Jesus Christ has died to provide for you. The last thing, James 1, 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. If you think that your red-faced yelling, intimidating someone is the kind of person God wants you to be, or the, the situation the person God can work through, come on. We all know better than that. You see, when we are in a situation where commonly anger would be called upon, and we're not, because we are secure. Somebody can try to put us down, but we are secure enough that that does not cause us to anger. What we do is we can, it says, be quick to listen. You listen to the other person. What was that that you are pointing out? Oh, let me know more about that. And, and then when you speak, you're asking, uh, it sounds like that you're really upset with me because of this or, or because of uh, something else. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Slow to become angry or don't become angry. For a human's anger doesn't allow for the righteous life God desires. Now, righteous life God desires is not religious. Please understand. The righteous life that God desires is a picture, if you're married, of you and your spouse or your family, the very best it could ever be. And believe me, God's got a vision of you and your family better than you've ever thought of. That's the righteous life God desires for you. It's the best version of you, best version of others in your family, best version of the relationship. If we get back, if we step back, our anger doesn't enter it, then God is able to work in that situation and perhaps in the other person so that his power and glory can bring about righteous life that he desires. As you have thought about this this morning, remember that the root of anger is insecurity. None of us think we're insecure, but it's exposed when we're criticized or a difficult situation. Pull out the root. Replace it with the root of security that's eternally based in the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ. You are a precious son or daughter of the King. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that as people have heard this today, that they've heard something that touches their heart, that applies to where they are, when they need it, and that they will look at those opportunities different now as opportunities to be able to bring your glorious presence and peace and love and joy into a difficult situation. And Father, as we go into these worship songs, I pray that this will be that opportunity where we love you and you just shower your love upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. As you take communion, as the band begins to play, remember the bread, his body broken for us. The cup is his blood shed for us so that we can have access to all these things we're talking about today and eternal life. God bless you.